but has a great, great heart for the Philippines and actually at the moment is pioneering a church in Manila, which is about 1.6 million people and its weather's about 40 degrees at the moment. He was complaining a little bit this morning that it was cold, but, you know, he just needs to toughen up. Is that right? And uh, you'll get used to this weather. Um, But he serves for Kingdom City Church. He was actually the executive pastor in Perth and now is the lead pastor in the Philippines. So he's been going about, I think, James, is it about eight months, ten months, something like that, yeah. Now here's the interesting thing is that, you know, he said to Charles, he said he hasn't moved there, but he's migrated there. So he has a great passion for the nation. And how many of you know God calls us to the nations of the world? And I'm just so thrilled to see someone of that age uh, just sacrifice his life for the kingdom of God. I know how hard it is. I know how tough it is to pioneer churches. I've done five of them. And so, James, I just want to commend you. I know your journey has not been easy uh, and in your personal life, but I can just sense God's anointing on your life. We are thrilled that you are our hope to a speaker, and we're thrilled to have you with us here this morning. Why don't you give him a big, big hand as James comes this morning, shares his heart with us. Thank you so much. It's, a, it's an honor to be here. Thank you, Pastor Nick, for the privilege of having your pulpit for a morning. Uh, are you doing well this morning? Thank you. That was a beautiful fade out. What a great t-shirt. It's a big dog. The big dog was on the keyboard today. Hey, it's so good to be here. And uh, listen, it is cold. I don't care what you say. It is freezing right now. Uh, it, it's, it's just amazing to be here. I, I love this church. I, um, excuse me, I got emotional for a second. Love this church, love Charles, met Charles last year. It's one of those people that when you meet, uh, you know those people, like you, you meet them and you either like them or, or you don't. Well, when I met Charles, I think we liked each other straight away. We had breakfast. There was, a, there was like a, a group of people having breakfast, but we sat next to each other and basically just talked to each other the whole time. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was love at first sight. And a bromance has since blossomed. And, uh, and so it's really my honor to be here this week and to try and speak 20 times. We're going to see how that goes. Uh, but uh, I, I'm married. Just a little bit about me before I get into it. I'm married I'm the, uh, uh, to my beautiful wife, Kate, who I think we have a photo up. Uh, that's my wife, and uh, that's me with hair, and that's my little daughter right before we left to the Philippines, and you could see how thrilled she was to be moving to the Philippines, my daughter. Uh, my wife is far more attractive than me. Um, when we walk down the street, people look at us and go, oh, he must have money. Um, I don't have money. I just love Jesus a lot. So if you're a young man, love Jesus. And uh, and that, that's hope, but that's what she looked like ages ago. Let's show a photo of what my daughter looks like now. Uh, her name's Hope Milani, and uh, there she is. Uh, she's the pride and joy of my life. I adore her. Uh, and and she's, we're in a season at the moment of, you know when, for any parents here, you know when you really love your kids, uh, and you, you're so glad you had them, and then this season called like, childhood happens and you begin to question why you had them we're in that season right now my parents apparently went through that season for about 22 years so I'm hoping it's a lot less 
That's my little girl. And, and about uh, 12 or 14 weeks ago, I think about 14 weeks ago, my wife gave me another present, which is really cool. And it's my other little daughter. And her name is Sienna Brave. And isn't she cool? Uh, we called her uh, Brave because my wife was pretty brave. Uh, you know, 10 months ago, we moved countries from Australia to the Philippines. Uh, my wife was pregnant. And so I decided, you know what? People can do things easy or they can do things hard. And so I said, why don't we do it as hard as possible, uh, just because life is better that way. And so we moved uh, to the Philippines with a pregnant wife and started a church. And, uh, and so it's been just a tremendously easy 10 months. Anyway, that's, that's my, my daughter. Uh, we started uh, uh, from scratch. Uh, you know, some people say they start churches from scratch and, you know, they've got 10 great people. I wish we had had 10 great people or just 10 average people would have helped. Uh, we started with a, a friend that I had called Ray, who I grew up with, uh, actually my first friend. Uh, my parents uh, were missionaries in the Philippines. My dad's Australian, and my mom's a New Zealander, and, uh, and I was born in the Philippines. Uh, I have massive identity issues. I don't know where I'm from. Uh, I moved to Melbourne when I was 10 years old. At the age of 10, uh, I came from the Philippines and moved to Melbourne and got out of the airport on June the 15th. And, uh, and I felt like I experienced hell freezing over uh, in that moment. Lived in Melbourne for about seven years. Went back to the Philippines as a 17-year-old uh, for a year. Did my last year of high school. Uh, had a God encounter, which just totally changed and revolutionized my life. Uh, lived in Brisbane for six and a half years. Got married. Moved to Perth. Lived there for seven years. And then went to the Philippines. And, uh, and we started in our house. Uh, we had our first prayer meeting, which was my friend Ray that I grew up with, his wife that I just met, and another random dude that had found us on the Internet. And so we had a prayer meeting. We had two weeks, and then we opened it up to have a connect group, and we had uh, five more people come and join us. Uh, all five of them were completely unchurched, unsaved people. Uh, that first night was absolutely horrible. It was the worst night ever. I wanted... I. It was, it was horrible. I pulled out my guitar. Me and Kate, we, we were like prayed up. We're going to start a church. We're going to start a church. It's great. And, and, uh, and we had the words on the screen. And, and we started singing songs that nobody, I mean, could you imagine these people? They're coming over to a white people's house like they don't know. Coming to my house, hey, you know, why don't we all stand and sing love songs to God? <laughs> like it's weird, right? So awkward. So uh, anyway, it was a horrible night. Uh, but in the midst of, of my own insecurities and, and uh, being stretched, uh, all five of those brand new people gave their hearts to Jesus. And they're all still in our church 10 months later. And uh, we've had some preview services where we've kind of shown the church where we want to go and what we want to do. I think we got a photo of one of those preview services. We're doing church. Uh, we want to do church in a bar. Um, and, and this is a bar. And it's really cool, and you can't really see it. It's, a, it's not a great photo, but uh, it, it, in the Philippines, if you know anything about the Philippines, it's a highly religious country. So it's about 90% Catholicism. Uh, the Pope is, you know, just the man in the Philippines. Uh, when the Pope comes, they give five days holiday to the entire country. So it's a highly religious country. So people sometimes say, uh, hey, why are you going there? You know, aren't there enough churches? Uh, in Manila, the city of Manila, there's, there's uh, uh, about nine cities that make up Metro Manila. And there's actually about 20 to 25 million people in the city of Manila. 
that's the whole population of Australia, in my city. Uh, how many of you know we need more churches in that city? And, and as well, some people say, well, it's probably easier because, you know, Jesus is everywhere. Like, there's crosses everywhere. At, at Easter time, they crucify people. Like, it's insane, right? Uh, it, it actually makes it a little bit harder, though, because when you're talking to people, uh, a lot of people know about God, but they don't know God. And so, you know, in our experience, what we're trying to do is actually uh, give people an encounter of God, not just more head knowledge. Because they all know about God, but most of them don't know God. And so that's what we're doing. And, and, uh, and so we're really excited. We're starting our services. You could pray for us uh, in a couple of months on the, the 11th of September. It's an unfortunate date. Uh, so, but it, it is what it is, you know. Uh, so we're starting then. And and, uh, and we're just so excited about it, and, and we, we really appreciate your prayers. Uh, and, and we're doing other things as well. We're uh, doing children's homes. I think we got a photo of one of the children's homes that we're a part of. Uh, all these kids in this, in this thing, except for the white people, uh, all these kids are either orphans or uh, a lot of these older girls that you see, the teenagers, have been pulled out of homes where they've been sexually and physically abused uh, in situations that would make you... Uh, weep. Um, some of these girls are just so beautiful and amazing, and and uh, and and so we have a lot to do. It's called the Angel Home. Uh, we have a lot to do with them, and you know we want to start orphanages and uh, and start schools. There's so much poverty in the Philippines. It's unbelievable, and 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 so the way to break poverty is not even just to feed people, but it's to educate them to feed themselves. So we believe that you know church is great, and having a Sunday service where we all come together is woo. It's awesome, but, but this won't change a nation. Educating people and empowering them from their Monday to Saturday is actually what's going to change a nation. And so we're excited about it. We don't know how we're going to do it, uh, but we know we're going to do it. Uh, we're, we're, we don't feel we're missionaries. We feel like we've moved there forever, uh, which my wife is still really coming to terms with. Um, but it's okay. And, and, and that's our journey. And, and we don't know, you know, all the answers, and, and we're scared. And and, uh, and it's been a really hard 10 months uh, of just stretching and growing. But we know God's in the midst of it. God has blessed us. Uh, he's never let us go without. And, uh, and, and that's where we are. Is that okay? Yeah. Amen. So if any of you want to move to the Philippines, you're more than welcome. Or you could just send a check. Uh, <laughs> millions is spelt with an M. Hey, let's pray quickly before I preach this morning. God, we just love you. We thank you so much for this time that we have together. Lord, be with us. Let your presence come. And Lord, for every person, no matter where they are in their journey, let them experience and encounter your love today. In your name we pray. Amen. I mean, it's good. Just let me say, it's good as well to have some familiar faces. My friend Eddie is here, who's sitting halfway up, who's from Africa, from Uganda. Ghana, Ghana. That's, that's highly... Uh, uh, embarrassing on my part from Ghana who has an incredible soccer team Eddie's amazing he's actually from our church in Perth living in Melbourne now and we love Eddie he's single and he's about to kill me now he is single he has a great job owns a house ladies get on that which is really good it's good that I was shocked Marie was standing here leading worship how many did you enjoy the worship this morning Marie and I went to school together about 16 years ago which a long time ago, and then she left school and went on a show called Pop Stars. <laughs> it's amazing. You should watch the old footage. It's incredible. She nearly got on Bardot, but uh, Poison Ivy, you remember that? Poison Ivy. 
Anyway. <laughs> so it's good to see you. Uh, hey, have you ever had a bad day in your life? Who here has ever had something bad happen to them, have a bad day? Anyone? So we're an honest church with about eight people that have had bad days. It's a perfect church. Man, sometimes you have bad days. I, was, I think I was nine years old living in the Philippines with my parents, and my dad was away traveling. My dad used to travel all the time. I, you know, I didn't see my dad a lot growing up. We always used to joke about how this strange man would come home, sleep with my mom for a few days, and then leave. And uh, so my dad's away traveling, and, uh, and, and, and we're out, and I'm with my mom and my two sisters. I'm eight years old. We're in the Philippines, and at this time in the Philippines, uh, there was a lot of kidnapping going on. They'd kidnap, like, white kids or really rich local Filipino Chinese kids. So there a lot of kidnapping. So my parents were, you know, I, I mean, I was a, you know, I was a, uh, how would I say it? I was an explorative child. And, and so they always kind of kept the tight rein on me. And, and so we went out for dinner, and we're at this place. We go out for dinner, and we, we come out to the car. My sisters are like four and eight years old, or I'm eight years old, uh, eight or nine years old. And, and we, we go to get in the car, and I was kind of, you know, exploring, just kind of looking around. And, and all of a sudden, I turn around, and, and my, my, my mom is driving away in the car. Like, in the middle of Manila, this white kid, and I'm like, hey, hey. And I, and I start running, and, and in this moment of panic, all these insecurities came into my life. Like, do they love me? Has this been their plan all along? <laughs> Have I pushed them too far this time? And so you could imagine this picture is that my mom's driving down the road, and this little eight-year-old white kid is running after this car. Going, Why, mommy, don't leave me! And it was this horrible moment in my life that to this day I... I still kind of, I still think about it. And it was this bad thing that happened. And finally, the car stopped, slammed. I was running so fast so that I hit straight into the back of the car, kind of fell back a little bit. All these Filipinos were just laughing at me. <laughs> Stupid white guy. <laughs> my mom got out. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, James. My sisters are laughing at me in the back. It was a bad experience and a bad moment in my life. It's a humorous one. It's one I've carried my whole life. But sometimes we go through serious bad moments that we can't laugh about, right? Like sometimes if we're honest, life just kind of sucks, right? One of the biggest questions I get asked all the time as a pastor is simply this is, why does God let bad things happen to good people? The last couple of days we've been stunned if you have an ear or an eye that works, you would have heard about the terrorist attacks in Nice this morning. I woke up to the news of Turkey, of an attempted coup. My best friend in the world, who's a missionary that I, that I support, is in Turkey. Just got an email from him this morning saying that he's alive, which is good with him and his family. But th there's so many bad things happening. And I'm sure in the middle uh, of that terrorist attack with those just evil people that did those choices and and there's a little girl lying on the road that I saw a photo of that just broke my heart. And you kind of ask, well, God, how could you let this happen? How could you do this, God? How? And if you want the answer to it, the answer is kind of, it's like a tough reality because it's easier to not have the answer. Because when you don't have the answer, it's easy to blame God, right? Because it's like, why God, why God? And it's, and it's, it's easy to blame something uh, that's just up in the sky and, and, and can't answer you back and tell you that you're wrong. It's actually easy to blame God. But, but, the, but the answer to the question is why does God let bad things happen to good people? Really, it has to go back to the start when God created this world. 
See, God didn't create evil, but he created the possibility of evil. What? God had to create the avenue for evil to occur so that he could create in the same breath the avenue for evil, for for love and acceptance to occur as well. Without evil, there's no love. God didn't create evil. Evil happened, but as evil happened, so did love, grace, and mercy. And so everything that has happened since the Garden of Eden, all these bad things that have happened, isn't because of God. God didn't go, bam, here it is. I'm going to do this. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to take that person away. God simply loved us, and we made choices. Human beings made choices. All you have to do to really understand generational teaching is look at at, at culture groups and people that are living now in poverty. It's not because God did it to them, but it's because somewhere up the line there is a choice, a decision made by somebody that has affected generations to come. So so why does God let let bad things happen? Why do bad things happen to people? Well, it's it's simply the choices and decisions that people make. But but then the next step is this. Well, how come God, if he loves me so much, how come he's let bad things happen to me? Well, that I I don't know. It's it's an answer I don't have. Many of you are sitting here today, and, and if we could go and interview every single person, I'm sure every person here has a story, a tragedy. Some might be minor. Some may be major, but every person here has dealt with tragedy in their life, have dealt with moments in their life where they go, God, why'd you let this happen? God, why'd you allow this? Either a loved one was lost or either I lost my job or something happened with finances and investment didn't work out, whatever, whatever it is. All these things can happen in our life. And the question is, well, God, how come you could let this happen to me? Paul in the Bible, the incredible apostle Paul, he writes this amazing scripture that I want to read. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, I think we're going to put it on the screen. But this is what Paul writes. He says this, I know I sound like a man-man, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been in prison more often, been whipped more times without number, and faced death again and again. Like, Paul in that verse just sets it up like, hey, you think you're going through a hard time in the northern suburbs of Melbourne? Let me tell you what I'm going through. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned and not the fun one. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all the this I have the daily burden of concern for all the churches who is weak without my feeling that weakness who is led astray and I do not burn with anger but if I must boast I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am God the father of our Lord Jesus who is worthy of eternal praise knows I am not lying when I was in Damascus the governor under King Eretus kept guard at the city gates to catch me I had to be lowered in a basket through a window in the city wall to escape him. So Paul sets it up in the scripture like, hey, you think you're going through a hard time? Let me tell you about my life. He got whipped and beaten and 
stones were literally thrown at him. Why? Because of Jesus. So Paul's sitting there going, this is everything I've got. You want to talk about bad things happening in your life? These are all that, like if we have a competition, I'm winning right now. We should never have a competition, but if there was, Paul would be winning. It's unbelievable. But I love it because in the very next chapter, this is his response to all the bad things that happened in his life. In 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, this is his response. He says, and each time he said, my grace is all you need. And my power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What was the one thing that kept Paul going through all these trials and persecutions? It was his trust in Jesus. It was his faith unwavering faith in Jesus Christ. He knew that in the midst of trials, in the midst of storms, in the midst of hard things in his life, that in his weakness he would be made strong, not through his own efforts, but through Christ. I've been around church a long time, and, and I've seen many, many people come to church and then leave and walk away from God. Has anybody else, does anybody else know someone that has walked away from God? Maybe just stick up your hand just so I know that people are alive. Okay, there we go. We, we all kind of know someone that's walked away from God. And, and there's always a reason why, you know, someone hurt me. I was offended. Uh, the world just seemed too good. You know, wh- whatever the reason is their reason. But in my experience, if I, can, if I can just whittle down sort of to the core reason of why someone would walk away from God, it would be simply this. They've put whatever the situation, the trial, or the circumstance, whatever looks good maybe in the world, they have put that above the revelation of what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross. See, when we get a revelation of what Jesus did, oh, it changes everything. It's the greatest thing that has ever happened in this world is that Jesus died on the cross. The greatest hope in this world is Jesus. And when we get to the point when we realize that we are sinners, lost, but that the grace of Jesus saved us, oh my goodness. Romans 3.23 is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. It says, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I love that verse. It's so uplifting. Do you know why it's uplifting? We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know why that's uplifting? Because the person sitting next to you is as much of a rat bag as what you are. (laughs) It's amazing. None of us are perfect. Maybe you came to church today for the first time and you kind of walked in a little bit gingerly up the back because you're thinking, oh, man, I'm walking into a place of perfect people. No. You couldn't be more wrong. We all got stuff going on. Some of us are nut jobs. Don't look at them. Stop. We all got things going. We're all sinners. But luckily, the Bible just doesn't leave it there. A few chapters later in Romans 6, it says that the wages of sin is death. So what sin deserves, the stuff that separates you and me from God, what that deserves is death. It means life eternal away from God. But luckily, it doesn't end there. It says, but the free gift of Jesus Christ is eternal life. So we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. When we have that revelation, 
Jesus says in, in the book of Mark that you must repent and believe in me. Uh, the original word repent in the Greek, it's this, it's this physical picture of turning 180 degrees. So the way I see it is we're, we're walking this way. We're, we're walking kind of towards hell, really. From the moment we're born with a sinful nature, we're kind of walking, you know, let's just hypothetically say we're on the highway to hell. We're on the highway, and we're walking, and we have this revelation of Jesus, like, oh, Jesus, beautiful, amazing, wow, I'm a sinner, oh, I'm so lost. And when we repent of our sins, it's not just saying sorry. Sometimes we think to repent, it's just, oh, well, sorry, Jesus, bro, I'm sorry. I'm teaching my daughter how to say sorry at the moment. Every time she does something wrong, I say, say sorry, she goes, sorry, daddy. But the problem is my daughter's saying sorry, but she's not repenting because she'll do the exact same thing again. Why? Because repentance isn't saying sorry. Repentance is this physical picture of turning 180 degrees around. And all of a sudden, you're now facing towards heaven. What's incredible is this. Uh, an encounter with Jesus changed your direction, but it may not have changed your location. So sometimes you think, oh, I'm a Christian now. I've got to be perfect. You're actually standing in the exact same location. You're just facing a different way. That's another thought for another sermon. <laughs> so we have this revelation of Jesus, and we begin to walk towards Jesus. And then the tough times happen. And then stuff goes down. And then things occur in our life that shouldn't occur. And all of a sudden, as we're walking on this journey, the reality of that decision gets tested. Do I really love Jesus? Is he really all that I need in the midst of this storm? Is my revelation of my sins and what I deserve, is that going to be greater than the pain of this situation, than the trial that I'm currently going through? And, and like I said a few moments ago, that if I could pinpoint the core reason why people walk away from God is that they raise their situation or their circumstance above this encounter with Jesus. Because when we fully get that we're sinners, that we deserve death, but that because of Jesus Christ, but Christ died for you and me. In the book of Romans, it says, whilst we were still sinners. Not when we had worked it all out, then Jesus said, hey, oh, you're good now? Okay, I'll go to the cross. Jesus got up at the cross and he died for people that were still spitting at him. Jesus, in, in, in one of the Gospels, has a go, calls the Pharisees a, a, a brood of vipers and starts getting at them. And we use that as an excuse, like, oh, we can get angry at people. Jesus got angry. He turned the tables upside down. He did, you know, we can get, it's a, we, we excuse it as a righteous anger, like, I hate you. But, but the way I see it is that Jesus called Pharisees a brood of vipers and he threw the tables and he got angry because he knew he was going to go on the cross and die for every single one of them. And that's the beauty of Jesus, that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we're all going to be faced with horrible things that happen. But if we have a revelation of what Jesus did for us back here, then we should, in reality, be able to weather the storm, no matter how tough it is. Is there going to be tough things that happen? Yes. Are there going to be moments when you cry out to God and say, why is this happening? Yes. Is there moments of weakness? Of course, we're human beings. But in the midst of horrible things happening to us, we can either hold on to what the world holds on to, 
or we can hold on to the cross of Jesus. His grace and his mercy, and in the midst of saying things, I don't know why this is happening. I don't understand to the fullest why this is going on, but I know that Jesus loves me. I know that he died on the cross for me, and I may not have the answers to this, but I know that if I hold on to God, I'll get through this. When I was 22 years old, I, uh, when I was 21 years old, I fell in love. And I uh, fell in love with a beautiful girl. And I'm going to be sharing a little bit about this this week on the Hope Tour. Uh, we got married. It was amazing. I was 22. She was 20. And nine weeks in uh, to our marriage, I woke up one morning. And, uh, and, and beside me in bed, uh, she was breathing really weird. I woke up. I, I began to shake her and just to get her attention. And, and nothing really happened. Uh, I'm just sharing this, this story quite quickly this morning. Uh, and and uh, I'm going to be sharing it a lot bigger on Friday night this week. You can come as well. Like, you can come hang, right? You can come on Friday night and hang out with us. Um, just make sure you have a children's working card and that you're not a weirdo. Um, <laughs> child safety. We take it seriously. So, so we, we're married nine weeks, and my wife's not really responding. So I get up, and, and I begin to shake her, and, and she's not moving. Uh, nothing's happening. And, and, uh, and, and so I begin to sort of scream her name, and, and nothing's happening. And by that point, I'm like, okay, God, God, what's happening? God, please help me. And, and so I'm crying out to God, and, and nothing's happening. Her, her breaths are getting farther and farther apart. I called the ambulance, and, and they, uh, they said, hey, we're going to get guys there. Probably about 10 to 15 minutes, you need to do CPR. And so as a 22-year-old, I'm doing CPR um, on, on my wife. The ambulance guys got there. They, they got her. They ripped her out of bed, and they injected her with adrenaline, and, and they put the, the shocks on her, and, and nothing happened. They doubled the voltage straight away, shocked her again. Nothing happened. We raced into the ambulance. We were driven down to the hospital, Redland Hospital in Brisbane. And I'll never forget it. They rushed her into the emergency room. My parents had met me there by that point. And I walked in to the little waiting room. We were there for about a minute. And a nurse came in a minute later and popped her head in. And she said, Mr. Aiton, uh, I'm so sorry, but your wife is dead. I'm 22 years old. I'm a youth pastor, loving Jesus, trying to work life out, still making mistakes, on a journey but really trying to love Jesus. And all of a sudden, my wife of 72 days dies in my bed. That's a pretty bad day. The Sunday, you know, it was a crazy day. People were coming over and, you know, people were trying to say things. You know when something bad happens and you try and say something encouraging, but it never comes out right? <laughs> that happened the whole day. You know, my best friend from Melbourne, actually, a guy called Troy, got on a plane and he flew up uh, to be with me. And, and he got there. And by the afternoon, I was starting to get a little bit frustrated, like the shock was sort of wearing off and the reality was sinking in of, okay, this, did this actually just happen? This is not a dream, you know? I'm like, you know, hitting myself, pinching, is this a dream? And I started to get a little bit frustrated. I'm like, God, what, you know, why did this happen? You know, my sisters have to go down to our church and... So we jumped in the car, we went down to our church, and, and we went inside, and, and, uh, and, and there was a keyboard and a drum kit, and my, my friend's a, a drummer, and, and so I got on the piano, I just started to play, I, I don't really play piano much, but you know, just started to play, and, and just kind of kicking time until my sisters came, and, and all of a sudden, in that moment, it was like 13 hours of frustration, pain, 
and not knowing the answers uh, just kind of began to, to swell up in this moment. And I just broke down and began to cry. And standing behind this piano, I felt the manifest presence of God just come down and fall in that church. Amazing. I began to weep and cry. And in my head, I was going, God, why did this happen? God, why did this happen? I, I'm so, I, is this real, God? And in that moment, God gave me a vision. And like I've never had a vision before, and I've never had a vision since. I'm not a vision guy. Some people are vision people, you know? It's like they woke up, I had a vision last night. It's like, you're amazing. And then the next night they have another vision and they're talking to you, but they're looking above you. You know they're having a vision. I'm not that guy. Like first vision ever and last till this moment in my life, I've never had. So I have this vision. I'm standing on this big brick road and I look to the, the left and at the end of this brick road, I, I, I see uh, this, this room and in the corner of this room is this little thing curled up in a ball and you could just see it, it looked disgusting. As I looked upon it, I felt disgust and, and, and I could see coming from it was anger and bitterness. You know when you look at something and you can just see what's coming from? I saw angerness and bitter and Blaming God and walking away from family and alcoholism and drug abuse and, and, and all this stuff on it. And as I looked at it with disgust, what, what scared me the most was it kind of shimmied a little bit, moved, looked straight back at me, and I realized that it was me. And in that moment, I began to weep and to cry and go, God, I don't want to be that thing. God, please don't let me be that thing. And I remember that moment, my gaze shifted from the left to the right. And it was at the end of this long road. And, and there was this field of, of, of wheat and grain just kind of like swaying in the wind. And I saw myself standing in the middle of this field with my arms raised, lifted to heaven, uh, worshiping God. And I began to weep and cry even more. I said, God, I want to be that person. God, please let me be that person. And I don't know why God allowed it, but in the moment of the hardest time in my life, he gave me a vision of the two choices that I could make faced with this situation. Every time we go through a hard moment in our life, we're faced with two choices. And the two choices are simply this. Am I going to become a victim of this situation or am I going to become a victor through it? Every situation we're faced with. God gives us that choice. Am I going to be a victim? Am I going to let this define me in a negative way? Am I going to blame God forever? Why, but you do Am I going to do that? Or am I going to say, God, I may not understand everything. I may not fully get it, but I'm going to trust you. In my weakness, you will be strong. Proverbs 3, verse, chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. I love that scripture. It's a memory verse in kids' church. And we teach it nicely. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And it's this cute little verse, but if you actually hear the power of this verse, it's saying, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't try and work everything out yourself. They did an autopsy on my wife. They couldn't find anything within the first 24 hours, so they removed her heart, removed her brain, and studied it for seven months. And at the end of seven months, I got a big, thick medical report. And the last paragraph in it said, we have no medical reason why she died. To this day, I still don't know why it happened. 
Many of you are sitting here and you've got questions to God. Why did you let this happen? How could you let this happen, God? But I love you, but I tithe. I'm in church. How could you let this happen? My answer to you really is, I don't know. I don't know why it's happened. But this is what I do know. That in the midst of our crazy lives and whatever we do, that 2,000 years ago, God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you whilst you were still a sinner. That if today you choose to believe in him, you're not gonna perish, but you're gonna have eternal life with him. The question really isn't, why does God let bad things happen to good people? The question really is this, when bad things happen to you, how are you gonna respond? I have people come up to me in this whole journey. This happened in 2007, so nine years ago this happened. God blessed me so much. I, after this happened, after my incredible encounter with God that evening, where I just felt him come and, and just give me a grace for my journey, I still made mistakes. I'm a 22-year-old young man. I still have weaknesses. And, God graced me and gave me a wife that is still beside me today. There were some moments. <laughs> Any married people know what I'm talking about? But in the midst of everything that happens, what do you hold on to? Who do you trust? Paul could confidently say that in the midst of his beatings and stonings and shipwrecks and jail time that he could confidently say that he trusted God in Romans 8 28 one of the most misquoted scriptures in the whole Bible Paul wrote and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose for them sometimes we misquote that and we say oh awesome God's gonna make everything good for me yay it says God can cause everything to work together for good. That means that in the midst of your crazy situation or storm or whatever bad thing happened to you, if you choose to love God and trust him, even when your mind can't comprehend it, but your spirit can almost break through and not lean on your own understanding, but your spirit trust in him, then he will, I promise you, I promise you, he will work that situation for good. It's not me saying it, it's the word of God. You're going through a financial issue right now. Let me tell you, if you trust in him and if you love him, he will somehow work it for good. How? I don't know, but he'll work it for good. God worked the situation for me for good. Do you know how? Because in the midst of the horribleness that happened in my life, he gave me a story that I could share. And he gave me an authority on grief that I can share. And so now when I encounter people that have lost loved ones and they walk up to me in tears and I put my arms around them and said, I'm so sorry, it sucks. They cry even more because they're hearing it from someone who's gone through it. I love Jesus with all my heart, but I'll never give you some cliche Christian answer to make it all go away. The pain is real, man. It's horrible. But God is good. He's good through it all. And every situation that we're faced with, we have this choice. Am I going to let this define me? 
in a negative way or am I going to let this define me in a positive way? Am I going to be a victim of this or am I going to be a victor? A few years ago, uh, a horrible thing happened in Victoria, which was the, the bushfires up in King Lake. And I know where we are right now, there, there'd be many people that would know people, lost loved ones, lost friends. It was a few months after it happened, um, a guy that I met actually brought me over to coincidentally to speak at an event called a night of hope and uh and so I went to this event and and I flew from Perth to Victoria which is a long flight and and they drove me up and and uh as we've already established today I hate the cold weather uh so we get up there and it's about two degrees the event is in a tent (laughs) right with these little heaters you know the little like gas heaters that that will heat up the the circumference of like one meter around you Uh, so unless you're planning to preach under a gas heater it's a cold night I'm I've got like seven layers on I'm freezing anyway there you know there's a uh, the band is practicing I'm sitting there I'm not really doing anything and and there's a piece of me I must admit there's a piece of me going God why am I here you know I'm missing my wife this is so cold and I didn't fully get what had happened. I must admit, I was ignorant, and I didn't fully get what had happened with the bushfires and, and how horrible it was. Anyway, the band practice finished, and it was still like four hours to go. And the guy that was kind of looking after me said, hey, you know, I mean, he's a really nice guy, but he kind of, you know, he didn't really know what was going on too much at the time. And he's like, hey, so what do you want to do? I'm going to go back and get ready. You know, you can do what you want. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know where I am. <laughs> this kid that's playing guitar, He's about 17 years old or something at the time. And he's like this real rocker kid, like blonde hair, uh, wearing like a death metal t-shirt, just a sweet, sweet kid, right? He walks up to me, real like country boy, like, g'day, mate. How you going? See, I can put on an Australian accent. Was it you? (laughs) You're lying. Bro, I've told this story that I'm about to tell all over the world. I thought you looked familiar. It's me. You have no, you have, this kid said something to me that changed my life. He looked a hell of a lot different then. Are you still like a little bit country bogan? This am, I'm about to cry. This is an amazing moment. I've literally told what I'm about to say around the world, bro, because of you. He comes up to me. He's like, yeah, there you go. I'm like, good, man. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, no, I don't know. And he goes, well, I'm having dinner with my family. And I, you want to come? I'm like, why not? So I start walking, and we start walking through through King Lake. It was King Lake, wasn't it? We start walking through King Lake, and... And he begins to tell me the stories of what had happened. That he was asleep and the fires were coming and they, they jumped in a car. And, and what he described was, was like a movie, you know, trees. And, and I'm sure many of you know trees were falling over. He said he was in the car and people were running up to him, trying to get in the car with flesh burning off. And his dad just had to drive through. And the most horrific of horrific, we're walking, we're walking from this place up into the house and we're going by it's like yeah my mate used to live there that house was burnt down all you know there's just everything is just clear 
And he said something to me, which was one of the most significant things I've ever, ever, ever heard in my life. He said, you know, a lot of people around here, a lot of people say they're victims. They're victims of the fire. He said, I'm not a victim. I'm a survivor. And in that moment, which you're just finding out for the first time right now, I realized why I went to Victoria that night. I preached, it was good, people got saved and it was awesome. But that whole trip was for me to hear this young man. And this is so weird for me. It's a beautiful moment to actually stand there and say something that really has affected my life and has affected many around the world as I've shared that. That he looked at me and he said, I'm not a victim, I'm a survivor. He had two options. Am I gonna be a victim of this situation? Or are going to be a survivor that points to Christ? This is what I want to do in a moment. You know, I know that in a setting like this, there's many people that you've lost loved ones, you've gone through storms. Even what I literally just said in the last three minutes has maybe brought up emotions in you. We're going to pray for people in a moment. We're going to pray for everyone at the end. We're going to worship. I believe that God's going to really do something significant here. But before we do that, Everywhere I speak, I always beg for the opportunity to be able to lead people to Jesus. I don't know where you're at in your journey right now, but I know this, that God loves you. And before we pray for every person and storms and God's love and all that, I want to give you the opportunity in this place to maybe respond to Jesus. Not to me, not to this church, but respond to Jesus because he loves you. And whilst you are still a sinner, Christ loves you so much. It's maybe your first time in church and you've never heard the gospel like this before and your heart's pounding. God loves you. Maybe this is your first time back in church. Your mom or dad dragged you back into church and, and you were that person that had an encounter, walked towards heaven and then just life happened. I was raised in church. I always believed in God, but I would never ever took it seriously until a moment happened when I was 17 years old and it was the first time I was ever really encountered eternity and God changed my life in a moment so before we pray for every person here I want to pray for you that if you've never accepted Jesus Christ into your life or maybe you have but you've walked away I want to give you the opportunity to respond to Jesus right here right now so out of respect for the person next to you could you just maybe close your eyes and bow your head and right now if you're here and you're saying, James, I've never made that decision or maybe I made it once a long time ago. But I know I need to respond to God. Romans 3 says we've all sinned. Romans 6 says that that sin deserves death, but the free gift of Jesus is eternal life. And Romans chapter 10 in the Bible says, all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. It's beautiful. So right now with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're saying, James, never prayed it, or I've walked away, but I want to do it right now. On the count of three, I want you to lift your hands because I want to pray for you right where you are. One, two, three. Right now, if that's you, just lift your hand. Awesome. Thank you up in the back. Anyone else today that you would respond? If it was for one person, it's worth it. Just another moment. Anyone else would respond to Jesus today? Thank you, Lord, for that young lady that's up in the back corner. I just want you to put your hand on your heart right now. 
because God loves you so much and he's got a plan for you. And it's not a coincidence that you're here today. Right now, Lord, I just pray for that young woman that God, you would bless her immensely. Lord, in this moment where she's encountering your love afresh, God, I pray that whatever pain is there would be healed in the name of Jesus. Whatever obstacles that have stood in the way would be smashed down right now and that she would experience nothing but your grace and your mercy. Any condemnation or guilt would just be completely ripped away from her right now. Lord, let her freely accept your love and your grace. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Thank you, Lord. Come on, every other person across this place right now, I want you all to stand. Just everyone stand. And just lift your hands, close your eyes, lift your hands. Come on, let's just sing it. Your love so deep. Your love so deep is washing over me. Your face. Your face is all I seek. You are my everything. Jesus Christ, you are my one desire. Lord, hear my only cry to know you. Come on, just one more time. Sing it again. Your love so deep. Love so deep is washing over me. Your face is all I seek. You are my everything. Jesus Christ, you are my one desire. Lord, hear my only cry to love you all. Come on, all over this place right now. If you're going through a storm, you're going through a trial, maybe something happened to you a year ago, two years ago, 10 years ago, and you've never ever been able to let go. And even though you love God, you come to church every week, there's still this little piece in you that says, God, why? And it's like you haven't been fully able to let go. I don't know where you're at in your journey, but this I know, that Christ loves you. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, it says, no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 16 says this, rejoice always. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Is that easy? No! It's hard. Sometimes life sucks. But God will never push you beyond what you can handle in Him. God will never push you in a situation that without His help you can't handle. You are here today for a reason, to encounter the love of God, to encounter His forgiveness, His grace to set you up to defeat whatever has happened or whatever is going to happen. This sermon may be a reactive sermon to some of you, but to a lot of you I hope it's a proactive sermon. That you can say, God, when the trial comes, when the storm comes, I'm going to put my feet firm in the Word of God. I'm going to trust and believe you. I'm going to have faith in you because you will never let me go because you love me. So if you're gone through anything and you need God right now, just lift both your hands to heaven all over this place. If you need God, 
If you need his forgiveness, his love, his grace, his mercy. If you need breakthrough in a situation, right now, God, you see every person. Lord, I wish we could pray for every person individually, but God, we don't even need to because an encounter with you is what matters. So God, heal what you need to heal right now. Heal what you need to heal. Restore what you need to restore in this moment, God. You just let God's love wash over you just for a moment. God, we thank you. You're a healing God. You're a loving God. We may not understand every situation or circumstance, but in the midst of it, God, we know that you're in our boat. In the midst of the storm, we know you're in our boat. Just let healing come. Let healing come, God. Your love so deep is washing over me. Your face is all I Come on, from the front to the back, every hand raised to heaven right now. You begin to declare this over your life. Jesus Christ, you are my one desire. Lord, you my only cry. Hold to know you. situation Lord, my Holy come on we're gonna sing it again sing it again oh your love so deep love so deep is washing over me your face is all I see you are my everything Jesus Christ you are my one desire Lord your eyes closed, just put your hands out in front of you and just say, God, just like we heard this morning, you might not know why, but entrust your why to Him. Sometimes we use that why for all sorts of different reasons, but this morning I really just sensed, just as James was speaking, why don't you entrust that why to Him and just leave it with Him. He's the author. He's the perfecter of our faith. He sees things, he knows things that you wouldn't even have an understanding of. The greatest place to leave your wise is in him. Father, today I thank you that you don't just see crowds, but you see individual people. Jesus, you walked through crowds and you stopped for individuals. We thank you that you're the God that knows every detail, every heart. And today, Lord, all of us, we leave our wise in your hands. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. Why don't you give James a big hand this morning. Thank you, James. That was fantastic. Just take your seats just for a moment. Well, who would have thought that Geordie 
you know, here is, we, we know that he's a man of influence. And uh, Geordie, there you go. Uh, you know, he's our youth leader. And what, what a great story. And I'm glad you weren't told that James wasn't told. It wasn't set up. Uh, it's a God thing. Do you know, one of the things that I look for as a pastor is God moments, is God connections. Uh, when, when Charles told me about James, he said this to me, he said, you know, I, I really feel there's a connection. How many of you sense that this morning that, you know, he can be part of the family anytime? You know, he's got to get over the cold thing, but, you know, how many of you would like to, him to be part of the family? Yeah. And, uh, you know, we can just see what God is, is doing. You know, the Hope Tour was not, is not just a good idea, it's a God idea. It was, again, another one of those God connections. And um, is that Francis at the back? Yeah, Francis, come up here. Culture break is here. And uh, I don't know if all the team's here. I don't know if all your boys are here and girls. They're in the cafe having some coffee. But come up here. Give these guys a big, big hand as yeah. they come. We're going to pray for them. Great to see you again. Come up here. Come on, you need to give these guys a huge, huge hand. They're a great, great team. Charles, you better come up here. James, do you mind coming up too? Is that all right? So uh, here we go. Here's the crew for this year. And uh, you brought some different people this year. Yeah. Fantastic. You're all, they're all looking great, aren't they? Yeah. And now you've never asked me to come and join your team, James. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, Charles is up there. I'm, you know, just can't work it out. We're going to pray for these guys. And, uh, you know, it, it's amazing. When we first came to this church, there was one young person. But, you know, I've just seen the heart of God. And as this team go into schools and speak into places that most probably many of us would not get the opportunity, we just need God's presence. How many of you know that? So we're going to pray. And I'm going to get you guys just to link up hands. There's another cool guy coming up here. I don't know what his name is, but your guys are all cool. they got the suave walk, you know, they're just, yeah, man. I'm trying to get the suave walk. It doesn't seem to work for me. But I'm going to get you just to extend your arms out. Geordie, why don't you come up here? Come on, Geordie. I'm going to get you to pray. Is that all right? It's part of your seed here, I can see. So we're, we're, going, to, we're going to pray right now. Geordie, I want you to pray for the team, the schools. Would you do that? That'd be cool. Just get your order. Raise your hands. Lord, we come before you right now and we give it all to you, Father, because it was unconditional love, Father, and it was hope that you came and you gave us hope, Father. We didn't have to be down that path. We didn't want to go down because you were there, Lord. You were gone. And right now, as we go into these schools, we're in a hurting world, Father. You just got to look outside. We're in a hurting world. You know these kids. What we see on the outside isn't what's going on on the inside, Father. So we just lift that up to you right now, that as James speaks, as Culture Break dances, as Charles goes into there and the team goes in, seeds will be planted, Father. We may not be the ones that harvest them, but they will be harvested down the line as well, Father. We know that. Because we serve a living God and we serve a true God, Father, who loves us unconditionally, Father, who doesn't want us to go down that path, who gives us hope to say, hey, you're not a victim, Father. And we just thank you so much right now for this idea it was birthed in Charles. We thank you for Pastor Charles, Father. We just we give the hope to it to you, Father. It's not a man thing, it's a God thing, Father. We just laid it all at your feet, Father. And we know your hand is upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. Fantastic.
he hasn't lost that Aussie twang, has he? He's still that guys fantastic it's going to be a fantastic time god bless you there's food for you in the cafe and uh, let's give them another big hand as they go god bless you now we don't usually do this and i just want our uh, ushers to get ready we usually uh just give a love gift from the church to our visiting ministries i really feel this morning that we need to take up an offering for james uh, the reason being is, firstly, I want to commend you, James. It's not easy pioneering a church, and I know it's where you were born, and I'm so glad to hear that it's not you've just not moved there, but this is your home. Your wife must be an amazing person. Men and women of God are forged through fire, and they're forged through pain because God has to enlarge them because they have to carry God. They have to carry the presence and the purpose of God. This morning, we're not giving to just a man. We're giving to sow into a nation. So as you give, I don't want you to give with the thought that you're just sowing to a person or a family. You're sowing into a nation. Once you get that concept, you'll understand the reality and the impact that could we could have in that nation now some of you haven't come prepared this morning and maybe you need a credit card slip if you do would you lift your hand up very high very very quickly and just wait till somebody puts a credit card slip into your hand that would be absolutely fantastic now as you were speaking James I also felt there's another thing we're involved in called history makers be great uh, Charles to try and get maybe James connected to that next year Uh, we'd like to give you an invitation to be one of the speakers at history makers that could impact a lot of other kids around the nation how do you think that would be a great idea i think that would be a fantastic idea so we're ready to give now give generously and give with the understanding that we're sowing into a nation okay don't give just we're going to bless them because we hear that all the time you don't when you when you sow into a ministry you're sowing into nations particularly this one here i know what it's like to pioneer not many people respond to that call people that do are very courageous and uh, they're people that are unique people that carry the call of god so father we pray today We thank you for James. We thank you for his wife. We thank you for their journey. We thank you that you've called them to a nation that needs God. And so, Father, today, as we give and as we sow into this ministry, we pray for multiplication. We pray for orphanages and we pray for schools and we pray, Lord, that you would go beyond even James's expectation. We pray that, Lord, you would refresh him, you'd encourage him, that, Father, he would be strengthened, that this week, Lord, he would literally sense the Holy Spirit carrying him and carrying culture break and, Lord, just sensing your presence in every school they go. We pray, Lord, that it won't just be students that will be impacted, but teachers. We pray, Lord, that teachers will be impacted by the message of hope. We thank you for that right now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, there are containers. If we can just pass them down again, that'll be absolutely fantastic.